Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that by changing how we respond to insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it, we can move away from struggling with insomnia and toward living the life we want to live. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, disorder, or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counseling, medical advice, or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Amanda slept well through high school, college and her early professional life. Her experience with insomnia began when a number of different stressors all showed up around the same time. She had a baby. She relocated. She had to get a new job. She had to deal with a toxic parent. Even when things settled down, Amanda found herself struggling to fall asleep. She felt as though her own mind was working against her. She started to panic and didn't know what to do. After finding that CBD gummies, melatonin, over-the-counter sleep aids, alcohol, and the many sleep rituals and rules she implemented were not helping, Amanda realized she needed to explore a different approach. That was when she found the Insomnia Coach podcast, recognized her own experience in the stories of others, and started working with me. Amanda realized that the more she chased after sleep, the more she craved it, the more she tried to make it happen, the more difficult it became. So she started to move away from chasing after sleep and from trying to fight or avoid nighttime wakefulness and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that came with it. She started to acknowledge her thoughts, even the really difficult ones, instead of trying to control them. As she did that, she found that her thoughts weren't always true and that she always had control over her actions, regardless of what her mind might have told her. As she practiced this new approach, Amanda started to notice more of the good stuff that was present in her life, and she started to do more of the things that mattered to her. And as she moved away from the insomnia struggle and expanded the focus of her attention, she found that she started to sleep a lot better too. As Amanda shares in this episode, the process was not easy. There were ups and downs. Her new approach took time and ongoing practice. However, as she started to get more comfortable with experiencing nighttime wakefulness, as she gained skill in allowing her thoughts and feelings to come and go as they pleased, and as she committed to doing things that kept her moving toward the life she wanted to live each day, independently of sleep, 
she was able to reclaim her life from insomnia. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Okay, so Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come onto the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really excited for everything that we're going to cover. Let's just start right at the beginning. Um, can you tell us when your sleep problems first began and if you can remember or if it was obvious what you think caused those initial issues with sleep? Sure. Um, I actually did have a little bit of insomnia um, when I was a child, but had gotten over that very quickly and became a really good sleeper. I was a great sleeper through high school, through college, through my whole early professional life in New York as a performer. I didn't have to even think about it. I just looked forward to sleeping. Um, and then my daughter was born and I was dealing with like all the new natural stressors of becoming a parent and um, not sleeping well. And on top of that, um, we had just moved up to the Bay Area. So we were dealing with uh, the housing market and new jobs and new bosses. And so there was like a lot happening at once. Um, a lot of a lot of stress happening at one time. And that probably would have been enough to set me off. But there was like one extra layer of stress, which was having to deal with a very toxic parent. So my stress was just through the roof. And um, I was just dealing with like these very deep, you know, feelings throughout the day, throughout the night. And once my daughter settled in and, and started sleeping again, my husband started sleeping again, just fine. And I was awake. I was, I was up in the night and just unable to, to sleep. So everyone else was settled in and I just found myself unable to, to fall asleep. And I don't, I didn't have the tools that I have today. So I didn't know what to do with myself. I was just sort of, you know, panicked and unsure of what was happening. Yeah. So, you know, it sounds like you went down that well-trodden path of, I can recognize probably where this all began. Um, either I was always a lousy sleeper or there were some clear triggers for some sleep disruption. Um, mm -hmm. And I think most of us, you know, we accept that when we have some difficult nights, if there's that clear cause, there's not a whole lot we can do about that. Hopefully once that cause, that trigger is no longer around or it's no longer relevant, you know, we've adapted to it, our sleep will get right back on track. But sometimes it doesn't. Um, and that in itself can be a big source of difficult thoughts, emotions, feelings about sleep. Um, we can start engaging in all those behaviors to try and chase after sleep, to put effort into sleep, try and make sleep happen. Mm. Um, and it's really that response, which is what at this point is keeping the insomnia alive. Um, you know, it's the oxygen for that insomnia. But we don't know that at the time. You know, when we're caught up in this struggle, um, we want to fix it. We don't know why it's happening. It feels very mysterious, very unusual. So we start to try, right? <laughs> and all, all those th these things that we try, um, they're often like kind of well-intentioned and logical when we think about them. Um, 
but they can kind of backfire on us and then that just leads to more effort, more worry, more difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that you were finding it like really difficult to, to just fall asleep. Um, what kind of things have you tried, you know, when this sleep issue was feeling really mysterious and it stuck around long after everything in your life had settled down outside of sleep? Um, what kind of things did you try um, to, to kind of get things back on track? tried a lot of different things. Um, I started off by just trying to clean, clean up my sleep environment. Uh, I thought maybe it was the mattress's fault. So I got a new mattress and um, got some blackout shades and earplugs and um, just tried to clean the environment, which was good. It, it was um, helpful for a couple days, but then I was still not sleeping. So I, try, I was trying those CBD gummies <laughs> because everyone was pushing them on me. And um, I tried that and it really did not work. It, it, in fact, made me feel very wired at night. And so that was a no. Um, melatonin, I tried that during the time. And that also was like, okay, for maybe a couple of nights, but it was like the novelty wore off. And it was like back to not being able to fall asleep. So I didn't really, yeah, I didn't know what to do. I ended up taking some over-the-counter sleep aids. Um, I was having an extra nightcap, like anything that would make me feel sleepy. I was just like desperate to feel tired. And I got to the point where that like made me feel very uncomfortable. I did not want to be taking anything. I did not want to be relying on something outside of myself to fall asleep. Um, but I just didn't, I didn't have the tools. I didn't know what to do. And I think the, like, the last, the last thing I tried was calling my doctor saying like, I, you know, help, <laughs> help. I'm not sleeping. She didn't know what to do with me. Um, so she prescribed another set of pills and I was very reluctant to go pick them up, but I did. And I knew that I didn't want to take them. I was like, this is not the answer, but I got the pills and got home and like locked them away in a cupboard. I did not touch them. Um, but wow, I, I was like at square one. I like, I did, I didn't, um, know what to do. I felt like I had tried everything. And so on a walk one afternoon, I picked up my phone and I did a search for insomnia and podcast and I started listening to your, your advice and all of the interviews. And I really connected to what you were saying and their experience. Um, and I thought, yes, <laughs> this is it. This is what I, this is what I want to try. I don't want to be, you know, taking pills. I don't want to be taking drugs. I don't want to be doing any of that. Like I was worried about what that was doing to my health to my liver and I just knew that I had I was stronger than that I could do it like with the right support one of the things that I kind of remember when we were working together I think it was you know within the first couple of weeks um, you actually shared some great insights with me Um, and a really memorable one was you said to me you know I've had some good nights even when my mind was starting to race and was telling me you know, you haven't fallen asleep yet. You're going to be awake all night. And oh, this is going to be a really difficult night, especially mm-hmm. on those days before you were due to go into work, you know, to teach. Because 
you know, we often put a lot more pressure on ourselves to sleep because we have this strong connection between how we sleep mm -hmm. and our ability to perform during the day or to kind of live the kind of life we want to live, to feel how we want to feel. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that insight, you know, where you found that the mind was telling you all this really difficult, uncomfortable stuff about sleep, but then some good sleep happened anyway. Um, can you just, I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about your experience with that. Yeah, that was um, that was really mind opening because I was so accustomed to hearing the thoughts you're not going to sleep and then not sleeping. Um, so very early on in within the program, I had stopped taking I stopped taking naps. I and I had really started to build um, really strong sleep drive. Like I was feeling more tired than ever like in a good way once night came because I was taking away those naps and waking up at the same time every morning. And um, some of those days were a little challenging because I was tired, but oh my gosh, it was beautiful. At the end of the day, I was exhausted and ready for sleep. So um, in that sense, like even if those little, you know, um, worries or anxieties about sleeping crept in, um, I would generally fall asleep, um, even though they were there, because I had this really strong sleep drive that was just ended up overriding all of the um, anxieties. I think that was key for me, really, was to, to take away the naps and to stop trying to make up for a bad night, because then I was just not tired enough that night. But if I was really good at, you know, sticking to waking up at that same time and, and, and honoring the day and honoring all my commitments by the night, I was like, really blissfully tired and ready for sleep no matter what no matter what my brain was saying and no matter you know what the little chatter was it was totally um it was i was tired enough for that those words to dissipate so up to that time you mentioned that you just removed all those naps what what was your kind of napping routine or or structure like were you like napping every day when were you napping how long were your naps i'm curious to hear a little bit more about that Yes. Um, after a bad night, I would sleep in a little bit if that was possible to try to, you know, make up for the night. And, um, and then the napping, um, would usually come in when my daughter went to sleep. I would sneak in a nap around like one or two. And, um, I was just so desperate to like, to, um, take the pressure off and, um, so then, yeah, the napping was definitely, it was pretty daily. And, um, and then I was not yet tired enough that, that evening to go to sleep. So that was pretty clear to me that eliminating the naps was a very good, important thing to do. So did you find it quite easy to sleep when, when you set yourself up for a nap? Yes, <laughs> actually it was. I was, um. I was so tired and, and depleted at that time. Um, yeah, I don't remember any difficulty taking those naps. Yeah, I think that in itself can sometimes be a really good insight, you know, because after all, if you're able to sleep during the day, then that means that you must be able to sleep at night too. There's just some kind of obstacle mm. or barrier getting in the way, you know. Mm. The fact that we're able to nap during the day shows that we can still sleep. We haven't lost that ability to sleep. But right. where these naps can often be a double-edged sword is 
when we have chronic insomnia, we're taking a nap because we just want that sleep to happen. You know, we're kind of chasing after sleep. You know, we're so desperate to get that sleep in. We kind of, we're chasing after it. So we're going to be like, okay, I'm going to go down for a nap and try and make some sleep happen. And what can often happen is then we find it really hard to sleep when we try to nap as well. And then that can generate all these difficult thoughts and feelings about that ability to sleep. Oh my goodness, I can't sleep at night. I can't sleep during the day. But really the obstacle, the whole barrier is all the same. You know, it's all that effort that we're engaged in, um, that mm-hmm. desire to avoid nighttime wakefulness. And so the brain's mm-hmm. firing up, being hyper alert to protect us from that wakefulness. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I just find it personally really interesting that kind of relationship we can have with naps when we're experiencing chronic insomnia because on the one hand we can try to nap find it really easy to nap and that in itself can be quite reassuring Mm -hmm. Um, but usually not that helpful over the longer term because when we relieve that sleep pressure less time awake during the day means we might get less sleep at night then Um, Mm -hmm. on the flip side if we try a nap and then no sleep happens we can become even more concerned and engage in even more effort um, and battling with all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with what we feel is just our inability to sleep. So, yeah, I was just really, it was great to hear you describe your, your personal relationship with naps and that you found it helpful to just cut them out, which I'm guessing wasn't an easy change to make. How did you How did you manage to just make that decision and stick to it? You know, when you, you had... I had watched a lot of your tutorials and so I knew you had mentioned this so many times over that, you know, eliminating naps is really important, creating natural sleep drive. And so I was happy to do it because I really wanted to try everything. Um, And in fact, I I found it to be empowering to take the nap away because I always had to make sure I had to create the space, make sure that, you know, I, it was almost a lot of work (laughs) to, to find the the space to nap. But when I realized it was actually working against me, I thought, this is great. This opens up the day. Now I can follow through with everything that I need to do because I know that was one of your pieces of advice was no matter if it's a good night's sleep or not, you honor your commitments. You go to work and you do your exercise and you socialize. And that to me was unbelievably liberating because I was always trying to figure out how to get out of this or get out of that and try to conserve my energy. When when I had made the commitment to honor all my commitments, then I got to enjoy the day. I got to I got to sort of let go of the idea that I had to cancel and um, and really be present in the day, no matter that, you know, I might have be a little tired. It it wasn't a big deal. I was committed to the day. And um and even sweeten the deal by doing something like nice for myself on on a day that might have been exhausted. I'd take my daughter for a walk or get a treat. And so like the quality of those days ended up becoming quite good and nice because I was so committed to making the days good and not allowing the sleep to really like, you know, drive whether or not it was a good or bad day. Yeah, and I think that was something you touched upon when we were working together as well. Was you, I can't remember at what stage it was, but you had this kind of realization as you were kind of going through things that how you sleep at night doesn't always dictate or predetermine 
the overall quality of your day that there are other things that influence it. I mean, we're not sugarcoating it, right? You probably feel better um, during the day if you had a great night of sleep, but it does, it's not like a hundred percent of your day is a hundred percent determined by your sleep a hundred percent of the time. I'm curious to just hear, mm-hmm. you know, wh- when that happened, like, and mm-hmm. how that insight affected you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the big one. I, I started to realize and, and the quality of the day was really not dependent on the number of hours of sleep the night before. Um, I could have a decent night's sleep and then have an awful next day. <laughs> well, you know, I could have had a few hours of sleep, but I, I woke up with gratitude because I had the day. I was going to make the best of the day. I was really committed. Like after the experience of trying to cancel this and cancel that, that I, I was, I was stepping into the day with a commitment to honor everything. And, and it, it gave me a new, you know, sense of gratitude. And, um, it was, it was tiring. I mean, it was, some of the days were hard, but there were these beautiful moments that ended up happening because I was aware I was more present and understanding that I was dealing with some fatigue, but that it was okay. And, um, and I created, yeah, some really, really beautiful moments. And then I would look back on the diary and realize this is, this is something that's happening. Like the number of hours of sleep is not running parallel with the quality of day. And that really took the pressure off of having to sleep perfectly every night. So that was, that was definitely um, something that helped take the pressure off. Yeah. Did you find it really hard? Um, especially when you first make this commitment to just, pursue stuff that's enriching important to you during the day independently of sleep because you know when we're when we're caught up in you know all the the fatigue and the anxieties and all that stuff that comes with insomnia usually our brain is screaming at us you know you can't do this stuff we've got to stay home we've got to conserve energy you know we've got to withdraw we've got to maybe try napping um Mm -hmm. all, all these things it tries to do that can end up distracting us and moving us away from the kind of life you want to live, which then leads to more pressure to sleep and to fix the problem, control what we can't control. But how did you, how did you make that commitment to just do that stuff? Even when you were feeling, you know, really, really not, not, not good. I think it was because I started to trust the process because I had seen already firsthand how my sleep was getting better. And how it was getting better pretty quickly. So I would really, um, I trusted the structure and I really just felt so committed to the process because I was so tired of insomnia um, that I, I was in it 100%. And, um, and I wanted to experience joy. I just wanted to, I wanted to make that choice to experience the day and all in all of its color and vibrancy and and not let a night bad night sleep take that away yeah yeah i I think it can be really helpful if you know we don't have to do huge things especially if we're feeling really you know we're feeling like we're in a lot of pain a lot of struggle i like how you touched upon being kind to yourself you know so it might just be going Mm -hmm. out for a treat you know with your daughter Mm -hmm. or by yourself just doing Mm -hmm. something nice for yourself um we're just looking to it's, it's so easy when we're struggling to end up 
getting completely distracted by the struggle, you know, and that just becomes our entire focus. And it's understandable because struggle doesn't feel good. Um, but it can just be so distracting and lead to us engaging in actions that kind of aren't aligned with the person we want to be, um, that aren't aligned with our values. We end up becoming the person that we don't really want to be, um, not doing the kind of things we want to do. And that generally doesn't make us feel any better. Um, and it gives, you know, that weight of insomnia, you know, it gives it even more influence over our lives. So I think being kind to ourselves, committing to doing things that are important to us, they might not feel as good. They might not even feel good full stop when we're really struggling. We can't control how we feel, right? But we can control our actions. So the more, the most important thing is just the fact we're doing these things. We're doing things that are important to us. And like you touched upon, even when we're really in the depths of the struggle, there are often a couple of moments, maybe only one moment, but there's usually a couple of moments during the day that are a little bit better, even if it's only fleeting, you know? And I think it can help to just be more attuned to those positive moments to kind of open ourselves up to them because so much of our lives, whether we have insomnia or not, is really we're engaged in autopilot, right? Because we're, we're thinking about, all right, I've got to wash these dishes. What's next, right? Then I've got to put the kids to bed. Then I've got to do this. We're always off somewhere. Our mind is always off somewhere and not 100% engaged in where we are and what we're doing. And the fact is, there's good stuff all around us pretty much all of the time if we're able to notice it. So even when we don't feel good, maybe we can just look around or just give ourselves the opportunity to notice like one good thing, one thing that is beautiful or enjoyable or makes us feel good or is interesting. Just one thing, you know, just to remind us that there is still some opportunity for, for good stuff, even when we're really caught up in that struggle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I Looking back on the, the beginning stages of the process, the program with you, I do have some very beautiful memories of those tired, tired days, but like these little gems that appeared like just a that that walk along the lagoon with my daughter. I remember feeling so tired that day and I wanted to, after picking her up, I was, let's go home. No, let's not go home. Let's enjoy the day. And we took that moment and I will always remember that moment. I mean, maybe there's something pure about those um, experiences because you're because of the exhaustion you kind of shed everything else you know you shed whatever other you know daily chatter goes on it's like those moments um even though it was during a very uh tired time um it's a very positive memory um those little treats or gems that that come through on those days so yeah uh, one more thing that um really helped me get through those tired um, days was the um, the information about how um, there's not necessarily a medical evidence that supports the fact that not getting a lot of sleep is bad for your health or somehow damages you because I always thought that when I wasn't getting enough sleep that I was somehow doing harm to my body and so knowing that all that stuff out in the internet all that information um is pretty misleading and um 
and that there really isn't any evidence that it hurts you or harms you, that was, that really started to take the pressure off too. Like, it's okay. Like you're tired and you're tired, but you're not really damaging yourself <laughs> by not getting enough sleep. It's really helpful. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as long as we're giving ourselves the opportunity to sleep, the body's always going to generate at, at the very least, the minimum amount of sleep it needs um, to survive. Um, we, um, you know, a lot of the kind of headlines and the news articles out there, you know, they are, I think some are downright just misleading um, and others are just really easy to misinterpret. Um, a lot of them aren't looking at people with chronic insomnia. A lot of them aren't even using human beings. They're using animals um, and extrapolating the, their best guesses from there. Um, and a lot of them are using sleep deprivation. You know, they're taking people and then deliberately interrupting their sleep and then kind of seeing what effect that has, you know, so they're not letting these people sleep. And then they find out that it leads to a kind of worry, depression, and anxiety. Well, if someone kept waking me up every hour, then yeah, I'm sure I would feel that way. Right. But chronic insomnia itself is different because people with chronic insomnia, they're giving themselves opportunity to sleep often an excessive amount of opportunity for sleep you know people with chronic insomnia tend to be going to bed way earlier than a, an average sleeper staying in bed later in the morning napping during the day more often um, engaging in all this additional opportunity for sleep to happen um, but the fact of the matter is you know we don't have one study that has found chronic insomnia to cause any specific health condition whatsoever mm-hmm. we have studies that associate you know, sleep duration or insomnia with different things, but none have found that it specifically causes it. Um, so yeah, that can be a big source of difficulty um, and confusion and worry and anxiety when we come across all this stuff. Um, which is another reason why sometimes it can be helpful to free up all that time that you might be spending engaged in ongoing research. You know, that endless ongoing research is so easy to kind of get caught up in because we're so desperate to fix the problem and maybe just use that time in a way that might be more helpful to us in terms of just living the kind of life we want to live, living for now um, rather than living for what might be in the future. Um, many of us have done a lot of research. It's probably unlikely we're going to uncover anything brand new. Um, probably just end up getting caught up in that rabbit rabbit hole of despair and difficult news articles and stories that you just touched upon. Um, how about we just free ourselves from that? Just do something more important to us instead. That can just be so helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was recommended that I like talk to someone early on, talk through the issues, and I thought, well, I know I had dealt with some some issues, but I really felt like most of them had settled. And I didn't really need to open up those issues again. I really needed somehow to just work on the sleep. I didn't think that it was something I needed to talk to the therapist about. So that was uh, that was a confusing moment. It sort of even the doctor had pressured me speak to someone, talk to someone, talk through the issues. And I thought, well, yeah, but that would have been helpful maybe a few years ago. But now I'm here and I've healed from a lot of that stuff. I'm just still not sleeping. So. I think after we've been working together, it was, I think it was towards the end of the time we were working together. I think we were about six weeks or so in. Um, you mentioned that you were, 
you were finding it quite remarkable just the fact you were experiencing a number of good nights of sleep like consecutive all in a row um you said you were feeling better during the day more productive feeling more optimistic than you may have done before but you know you're a human being so you still had some difficult nights from time to time um at this point you know had, did you find that when those inevitable difficult nights happened um that your response to them somehow changed like maybe they had less of an effect or an influence on you i'm curious to hear how you dealt with with those nights as you went along yeah i what i had decided to do was to set up a little corner for myself like no matter if it was going to be a good night or a bad night didn't matter i just set up a comfortable chair with a book and a lamp and so i knew that i had this spot to go to if I needed to. And um, that really gave me a source of comfort. So getting up is never easy, like hard to do, but knowing that there's this comfortable, safe space to go to with a good book that I enjoy. I mean, it's not half bad. It's, you know, it's quiet. I'm alone and I get to read a good book and then eventually get back to sleep or get go back to bed. Um, so really setting up that space helped because at first I didn't really know what to do. I was okay trying to figure out like a project that would be quiet. And, and so I decided that really like I got into biographies. I really started to read a lot of them. And so, okay, I'm going to pick a couple and I'm going to put them on the table and they're there if I need them. So it was, it actually ended up being quite enjoyable. I mean, it's hard to get up, but then once I was there, it was quite enjoyable. And, um, and that, yeah, made it easier and just, tr and just again, trusting the process, trusting the process because it was working for me. So there was really no panic involved in the nights and getting up on those off nights because it was working. I was sleeping better and there was a plan. Like I felt like I had a plan in place and I was falling back on it. Um, and that really, yeah, really, really helped. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're referring to there is, you know, maybe before in the past when you're having a difficult night, a lot of wakefulness, you're just kind of at a loss. What do I do? And our usual default human behavior, I think, is to try to achieve what you want to achieve, right? So when we're really struggling with all that wakefulness, we maybe like double down and try even harder to fall asleep, put pressure on ourselves to fall asleep, a lot of tossing and turning, a lot of unpleasant wakefulness. Um, and like you just touched upon, we do actually have an alternative option available to us, and that is to just do anything else that's more pleasant when being awake doesn't feel good. Because um, I think most of us know from experience at that point that sleep is unlikely to happen right at this moment, and it doesn't feel good to be tossing and turning here. So how about we just do something else that we know is going to be a little bit more pleasant. It might not be super enjoyable, might not even be enjoyable. It just has to be something that's more pleasant compared to what we're currently doing. And so it sounds like for you, you found it really helpful to just have a plan in place. If it doesn't feel good for me to be awake, I'm just going to get out of bed. I know where I'm going to go. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this book. And then when conditions feel like they might be better for sleep to happen, I'll return to bed. And just kind of repeat the process. Just 
okay to stay in bed when we're awake for as long as it feels okay to be awake. But then if it starts to feel unpleasant, we've always got that opportunity to do something instead. Is, is, am I getting the gist of it right? Or was that the kind of approach that you took? Yeah, and that approach worked anywhere. I was always very nervous about traveling, going to someone else's house or being in a hotel. What if insomnia strikes? What am I going to do? But I worried less, much less about it because I had this plan, which was just a book and a comfortable place to sit. So I just made sure that I had those things with me. And, and then before, you know, heading to bed, I would set up the little corner and know that it was there. And um, that, uh, that really helped so much. So did you find that you were a bit like a human yo-yo getting in and out, in and out of bed, like throughout the night? Or were you just kind of mm-hmm. out of bed, read a few chapters and then you just mm-hmm. go back to bed? Or was it just kind of all different every single night and you didn't care as long as reading was more pleasant than struggling. I early on in the process, it was a lot of up and down um, for sure. A few times a night, maybe Um, again, less panic though, less stress um, associated with, with being up because I had that plan that I could fall back on and I really trusted it. So, okay, here we go up and, you know, take, take get out of the bed because bed doesn't, feel good right now. It felt so much better to be outside of bed. Just like my heart rate went down. Okay, I'm here. You know, this is pleasant. Um, And then once I started feeling like, okay, I think I could enjoy the bed again, went back. And at the beginning of the process, it was, there was a lot of up and down, um, but, but not stressful. And, And then, I mean, I really got to the point where if, if bed wasn't feeling good, I would get out, read, and then come back to bed and fall asleep. So all of a sudden, I can't remember exactly when the transition happened, but I realized that it was really just one time getting out, and that's all I needed. Uh, and then that really, I started to build confidence at that point. Okay, so, you know, if, it, if it's not happening, then, you know, maybe it's just one time out, but maybe not. But it's, it just started, like, my confidence started to build. So it got easier and easier. But the the beginning stages are hard, really hard, really hard to get yourself up out of bed when you're so exhausted and you just want to sleep. But it really does, in fact, feel so much better to be out of bed um, on those on those nights. Yeah, I think I think that's a great. I love how you described it, you know, that it's not easy, but it's often more appealing than what the alternative is, which is to just stay in bed when it really just doesn't feel good to be putting ourselves through that, you know, in the hope that maybe sleep will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we just thought when we stay in bed, we often, it doesn't feel good. And we often fall into that trap of trying, you know, putting effort into sleep or trying to push away all the difficult thoughts and feelings that our brain is going to be generating as it tries to protect us from what it thinks of wakefulness as like this physical threat. You know, the, the brain doesn't know the difference between a physical threat and, and an imagined threat. As far as the brain's concerned, you know, when you're trying to sleep, it, it thinks there's like an alligator under the bed about to get its teeth around you. The brain doesn't know the difference. It's trying to protect you, but it's generating all this stuff that doesn't feel good. And trying to push it away engages us in a battle. Trying to sleep never really works because we can't control sleep anyway. Um, also, all we want to do is just remove the effort 
kind of untangle ourselves from that struggle and what can we control at the end of the day the only thing we can control are our individual actions our own bodily movements so if we are struggling we're not feeling good unfortunately we can't control how we feel not sleeping unfortunately we can't control sleep but what we can do is maybe get out of bed or even stay in bed if we prefer but just do something that makes that wakefulness more pleasant and that's really all we can do um, is engage in actions that are more appealing more helpful than the alternative option yeah it sure does beat just lying in bed flipping and flopping and waiting and stressing i mean just the act of getting up out of bed feels good okay i'm gonna try something else going back to something you were talking about earlier on where you said you know maybe reducing the amount of time that you allot for sleep was something that was helpful um which basically all it comes down to for people not completely familiar with it is we're just looking to spend an amount of time in bed just quite close to the amount of sleep we're getting at the current time rather than the amount of sleep we want to get because um, often our temptation is to spend more time in bed to give ourselves more opportunity to sleep but often all that does is just set us up for more nighttime wakefulness there's more opportunity to spend time awake at night so if we're for example averaging like let's say five hours of sleep let's see if we can get the amount of time we spend in bed closer to five hours rather than seven eight nine or ten hours um, and often how that helps is it can it prevents us from chasing after sleep because now we've got that earliest possible bedtime we've got a consistent out of bedtime in the morning um, but where I think it can really help is often it brings back a sense of sleepiness rather than just fatigue as bedtime approaches um, and it's it's I think it's really easy to fatigue to misinterpret fatigue and sleepiness you know feeling like really run down worn out exhausted groggy sometimes that might not be sleepiness that might be fatigue you know just exhaustion feeling worn out and that doesn't always lead to sleep the only thing that leads to sleep is sleepiness itself and when we get back that sense of sleepiness like oh i'm actually finding it hard to stay awake now i think that can just be so empowering and i remember um one one exchange that we had was you had a lot of these things that you felt you had to do in the evening to kind of invite sleepiness to happen and that was one of your concerns you said to me I really want to move away from all these rituals and activities I'm kind of imposing on myself in an attempt to get sleepiness to happen but I'm kind of nervous that if I start moving away from them then I'm never going to feel sleepy um, do you feel that the sleep having that sleep window helped you with that transition from moving away from all these additional rituals and routines you were putting on yourself because the sleep window itself was helping you rediscover that sense of sleepiness in the evening? Most definitely. And that really happened just right off the bat. Um, really feeling a sense of sleepiness come in at the end of the night. I had not experienced that in so long. I was always so up at night, but when we started to implement the, the sleep window and taking away the naps, 
I um, started to feel this natural sleepiness come in in the evening. And it just felt like um, a sweet relief. Like I didn't have to try to bring it on. It was naturally happening. Like, okay, the body knows what it's doing if you allow it to do it. And, um, and yeah, like I said earlier, that, that deep sense of sleepiness really helped me, um, was overriding that any sort of nervousness there might have been. Otherwise it really took over. So sleep was much easier. Exactly. Yeah. As I like to say all the time is sleep always happens in the end. So the longer we we're awake for, the harder it becomes to remain awake. Um, and that in itself can be so reassuring because it's so easy to believe that, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling anxious, for example, or I can feel my heart racing. And because I'm feeling those things, sleep just can't happen now. Um, but the truth is sleep can still happen. Um, if we've been awake for long enough and the body needs sleep to happen, the sleep will still happen. Um, these things can, you know, make sleep more difficult. You know, if we've got a lot of that worry and that anxiety, maybe that kind of hurdle that sleep has to get over is up here instead of down here. But the longer we're awake, you know, that sleep drive builds and builds. It's eventually, no matter what, it's always going to get higher than even the most intense anxiety or physical sense sensations of arousal um and i think just recognizing like we were discussing earlier the presence of difficult thoughts or difficult feelings difficult emotions don't mean that sleep won't happen you know you can experience that stuff and still even have good nights mm -hmm. i think what can definitely make sleep really difficult is when we engage in a battle with all that stuff. You know, these, these, these thoughts are really difficult. So we might try not to think them or we might try and push them away when they come into our mind. And, you know, all those emotions as well, often they don't feel good, especially in the middle of the night when we're all by ourselves. So again, we try to fight them, try to avoid them. Um, and I think engaging in that battle, in that struggle, is probably what's more disruptive to sleep than just their presence. If we can get to a point where we just allow them to come and go as they want, which is obviously easier said than done. Um, but if we can get to that point where we just allow them to sit there, drift in and out as, as they want, rather than getting involved in that battle, they become far less influential over our sleep and, and what we do during the day too. And just a couple of, couple of nights experiencing the anxiety um, come up in that um, anticipation of not sleeping and then sleeping and, and even though there was that stress and anticipation or whatever that was that sleep still came that night that happened maybe once or twice and that started to really build my confidence like that's not that's not going to determine if I sleep or not that's not necessarily going to determine whether or not I sleep and that was very powerful yeah did, have you found that over this whole process, you know, just looking back on everything, that your relationship just with those thoughts and those feelings, those emotions as and when they occur has changed? Because um, my guess is that you, you still experience some difficult thoughts, feelings and emotions because you're a human being. So you're going to experience the full range of mm -hmm. the human experience. Um, but how 
-hmm. has there been a change just in the way you kind of respond to them or the effect that they have over you, the influence Mm -hmm. they have over you? And why do you think that is, if there has Mm -hmm. been that change? It's a good question. I, I see the thoughts now. I see them. (laughs) I tell them, I see you. You are not me. You are not, you don't define me. You are separate from me. I really do kind of like almost have a conversation with these thoughts. You're like, you're trying to disrupt me. And, and I see you doing that. And in a way, like doing that makes them sometimes disappear, um, makes them less powerful by seeing them, seeing, seeing them as separate. And, um, what has helped me to a lot, um, just sort of find a sense of peace and quiet and kind of quiet that, that chatter is, is taking, is taking that last hour or so before bed and just finding a quiet seat and, and taking time to read those books. Like I slipped into this routine where I'm just, doesn't matter what time it is at, at what, at some point I will just, let go of the clocks altogether because it's just it's late enough and it's just a nice quiet moment to take in the night and then go to sleep when I feel sleepy and it really just takes the pressure off and if there is any of that chatter about not sleeping or what if you don't sleep and that kind of stuff it's I see you I see what you're trying to do but I'm gonna take myself over here and have just a relaxing moment with my book this is my time my space and just trying to really stay, you know, empowered because we just have so much, we have so much power and control. Uh, I love that sentence that you said, you know, just saying, I see you. Um, and I think that, I, I think what it comes down to is acknowledgement. You're just acknowledging that that thought or that feeling or that emotion is present. I see you, you know, and you're, you're, you're saying, you're saying it, whether it's in your mind or out loud. You're acknowledging its presence. And I think that that in itself can just be so helpful um, because just the fact that we're acknowledging something that we're thinking or feeling, even when it's difficult, first and foremost tells the brain, okay, you are listening to me. So maybe I don't have to yell quite so loud. So you are listening. Um, but then just the act of acknowledging, especially when we're able to say, okay, this is, this is a thought or this is a feeling. This is an emotion. It's not me, but it's something that's happening, you know, in my mind. My mind is generating this thought, this feeling, this emotion. And now I get to choose how to respond. Is that helpful? Is this thought going to help me right now? Is it actionable? Is it about something I have control over? Um, if it is, great. Um, if it's not, then maybe we just, all right, well, thanks, Brian. I'm listening. I, I see you. I acknowledge what you're telling me. But now I'm going to move on and redirect my focus or my attention on this instead. But I think that acknowledgement is key. Um, and your description of just saying, I see you, you know, I think that's a great way of just acknowledging what we're thinking or what we're feeling and not getting caught up in that really exhausting struggle with trying to get rid of what we're thinking or we're feeling. You made the comparison of like insomnia being like a bully that's wants to come back and try to wreak havoc. And, and like, if you give that bully the time of day, then they're going to get off on that and they're going to keep going. You know, if you're not, if you don't let the bully phase you, then they might disappear and try to bother someone else. I love that analogy. 
I think that that's a, a really helpful way of just exploring, you know, our relationship with our thoughts uh, and our feelings. You know, so many of them don't feel good when we're caught up in insomnia, so we want to fight them. But we just, over the long term, I just don't think we can. We can. It's a battle we can win. You know, we can maybe distract ourselves in the short term or try and convince ourselves to think differently in the short term, but in the long term. I don't think so. It would be, if we could do that, then we would be able to kind of just fall in love and genuinely love that person and live happily ever after forever and ever, you know, for the rest of our lives. Um, we might be able to fool ourselves for a little bit of time, but probably not for the rest of our lives because we just can't control those thoughts and those feelings. And some make us feel good, some don't. But when we don't get caught up in the battle with them, they tend to hang out then they disappear, then they might come back, they might hang out for longer, then disappear. Um, but they're always kind of, they're always transient. It can feel like they're always there, but they do, they come and go um, when we're able to free ourselves from that battle with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And taking the day, like we talked about before, like really enjoying the day and finding the joy and those moments, like I feel like it's strengthening our drive to get, to help to get rid of those bullies. Because you're not taking all the anxiety about, well, it's nighttime and am I going to sleep? And no, you're just, you're present. You're present. You're, you've arrived in your day and you're not allowing that, that anxiety to enter in and stay there. Yeah. You know, especially if we can do all that stuff, even when the mind is giving us all this difficult stuff to deal with. So we could be, it could be during the day, the brain's like, ah, oh, you're, you're too exhausted. You can't do, you can't do that today. So we just be like, all right, I see you. That's mm -hmm. the, you, you might even name that thought, you know, or it's the doom and gloom thought, or it's the you're too tired thought. Thanks, brain. I know you're looking out for me, but you know what? I'm going to do this anyway. Let's see. Maybe I can, maybe I can't, but I'm just going to give it a try. Um, and the more we can do that, you know, we just separate the thoughts that we have from our actions. You know, they don't always the thoughts that we have don't always have to dictate our behaviors. We, we are in the middle of that. We always get to choose. Um, and it can be so helpful. I think it can be empowering um, because we realize that no matter how difficult or intense the thought or a feeling that we have, we always get to choose how to respond. Um, and really it's how we choose to respond that determines whether we kind of engage in a struggle which is really exhausting and can kind of distract us and take all of our energy from us and we end up moving away from the kind of life we want to live or whether we kind of redirect our attention on what we have control over even when all this difficult stuff's going on we make that conscious choice that i'm going to do something that helps me take the other path towards the kind of life i want to live um and I, I just think it can be really empowering and it just can just free up so much of our energy to do what matters. Yeah. Yeah. And there are also some very um, well-meaning people that might give that advice too. Like, oh, you're too tired. You should rest. You should stay home. You know, there, <laughs> there might be those supportive people in your life that are giving, that's giving you that advice. And um, so it's, it's important to stay, stay true and stay focused and, and committed on, on the path. 
it also goes back to what you were saying earlier is we need to be kind to ourselves too. You know, we don't have to be a superhero every day. I'm going to do every single thing on my list, no matter what. We might have a day where we just need to take care of ourselves, um, whatever that might mean for us, you know, just being kind to ourselves, whether it means just talking to ourselves in a kind way, because we can be so hard on ourselves when we're, when we're caught in a struggle, just talking to ourselves kindly and, you know, behaving in a way that's kind to ourselves. Um, and there might be days where we need some rest or we need to treat ourselves. Let's do that. We don't have to be a superhero every day. We're human beings. Um, what can be helpful is just being kind to ourselves and just engaging in things that are important to us, no matter how small those things might be. So we've talked about a few different things, you know, the, the, a few different changes that you made while we were working together. Um, as I talk whilst this freight train is just running behind me in the background. <laughs> but we talked about the sleep window that you found helpful, just allotting an amount of time for sleep that's more or less aligned with the amount of sleep you tend to be averaging at the current time. Uh, we talked about you gave yourself a plan for responding to nighttime wakefulness. You know, if you're awake during the night, that's okay. But if it doesn't feel good, I've got the opportunity to do something else and I've got a clear plan in place. So there's no ambiguity. So if it doesn't feel good to be awake, I've got that little corner set up somewhere. I'm going to read a book. That's where I'm going to go. If things start to feel more appropriate for sleep, then I'll go back to bed, repeat as needed. I'm going to get out of bed around the same time each day. I'm going to avoid those daytime naps. I'm going to acknowledge the difficult stuff I'm feeling rather than trying to battle with it. Um, I'm going to do stuff that matters to me during the day, whether that's just being kind to myself or engaging in activities that are important, enriching, meaningful, aligned with my values. Um, and you avoid the daytime naps as well, you know, to, so we're just removing ourselves from all that effort to sleep, to chase after sleep, to make sleep happen. Um, was there anything else? That's a lot of stuff we covered. Was there anything else that you wanted to mention that we haven't covered? I really find like a lot of solace in this, this last, you know, the, the buffer hour that we have before bed. Um, that has become still so important to me, even though I've become a very, you know, consistent sleeper for the most part now. I am just really true to this beautiful time before bed. And it's not this time that I use to um, prepare for sleep. It's not like in preparation for sleep. It's just this space that is for me. It's, you know, daughter's asleep and husband's usually asleep. So I get to just take in that little bit of night and um, I really love that it's there and it's, it's given me a, a nice relationship with the nighttime and I don't, I try not to put pressure on that time because it's not really about going to sleep. It's just about enjoying that quiet, peaceful part of the night. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you you mentioned that again because it's it's something that can trip us up, and we talked about it a little bit earlier. You know about how we can. I think a lot of it comes to either well-intentioned advice from friends or looking online. You know, do this before you go to bed. You know, whether it's take a hot shower, turn off all the lights, turn off the TV, um, drink drink a warm glass of milk or or some sleepy tea or stuff like that. It's so easy to add all these rituals before bed. But the truth is, 
there's there's no ritual that's going to make sleep or sleepiness happen. Um, all we're doing is just kind of engaged in more effort around sleep, and that's completely counterproductive. Um, but what can be helpful is just giving us ourselves time um, in the evening before going to bed that's just for us. So we just, you know, let's say an hour, an hour before we're planning on going to bed, that's just me time. I'm just going to do stuff that I want to do, that I personally find relaxing or enjoyable. Um, and I think that's as far as we need to go with it. It just needs to be time that we enjoy um, to help us just make that transition between our wakeful lives, you know, with all that pressure and struggle that we have to deal with, to getting to a place where we just can decompress a little bit. Um, and it can can be just so powerful to have that time for ourselves to do whatever we want to do um, before we go to bed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was a moment in time where I was really trying to figure out what to do during that hour, which is which is kind of goes perfectly alongside trying to figure out what to do to, you know, set yourself up well for sleep, like the whole day trying to set. It's like, that's not really what it's about, is it? It's not about doing the perfect thing. It's really just about doing something enjoyable, whatever that is. Like it was stretching, it was writing, it was reading and it, it changed, it morphed, and it wasn't necessarily one particular thing. But for a little while, I was trying to seek the the, the correct activity, um, which was really counterproductive. You know, it's so easy to look back on it now, isn't it? And mm-hmm. just recognize all those things that we were engaged in that we're able to reflect on and be like, that wasn't helpful. But at the time, you know, we're engaging in all these experiments because we want to fix the, the problem that we're going through. Um, and... Sometimes, you know, we might feel like, oh, I did that and then I slept well. So now if as long as I keep doing that thing, I'm all good. But then what tends to happen is because that thing wasn't what generated sleep, when we then have a difficult night, we're left scrambling for a new thing. You know, we just get caught up in that rabbit hole. Um, It's a process to get to that point. I don't think there's an easy kind of magic switch that, you know, just overnight we have this big revelation and we're able to drop all that, all that temptation to engage in rituals and safety behaviors and chasing after sleep. I think it is a process. Um, and it takes a lot of practice and there's ups and downs along the way. Um, using your experience, you know, from, when we started to explore these changes to you getting to the point where you felt, you know, I don't think that insomnia is this, is this big influencer over my life anymore. You know, it feels like it's kind of in the rear view mirror now, rather than a huge movie screen right in front of my face, blocking out everything else in my life. How long would you say that process, that process took? Um, maybe six months for me. Um, it got better and better. I mean, I, I felt like I was on a good tra- trajectory with some disruptions here and there. Um, but really, in order for me to feel like, okay, <laughs> I have given myself now all of the space during the day 
to do what I do, to care for myself, to care for my family, to all that do my work and not have to constantly be figuring out, you know, how I'm going to be sleeping or what's going to happen because that took up so much of my thinking. Um, I think that was about, was like half a year. But it was such a um, clear progression um, of, 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 sleeping better and, and gaining more and more confidence. The more better nights I had, the more confidence I had. So I felt like I was becoming stronger and, um, and more trusting of myself. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I asked you that because I was suspecting that you were going to say something along the line of months. Um, I think it's helpful because we have to recognize that it's a process and it usually doesn't it usually takes time, um, just as it took time for the insomnia to develop, you know, it's going to take time to kind of pick away at it and to change all those habits or rituals or routines um, that we're currently engaged in to kind of unstick ourselves. And it, and it takes time. Mm-hmm. And we often experience ups and downs along that way, you know, along the way. And during those difficult times, you know, the brain starts firing up again, telling us this is you're struggling, generates all those difficult thoughts and feelings. But that stuff we can't control. All we can control is our actions. So if we can just stay committed to ensuring that our behaviors are helping to set the stage for sleep, that's really all we can do. And that our behaviors are just helping us move toward the kind of life we want to live even when all this difficulty and struggle is still present they're really the only that's really all we can do and as long as we can stay committed to that um, we tend to find we're not getting rid of difficult thoughts and feelings they're always going to be with us but they're going to have less of an influence over us and then in turn the insomnia or sleep and wakefulness regardless of what that looks like tends to have less of an influence over us because our focus now is on all the things we can control and all the things that kind of free us up to just live the kind of life we want to live. And when we do that, all the difficult stuff still there, but just maybe a lower volume, a progressively lower volume and less influential on our, over our behaviors. So Amanda, um, what, what would you say an average night is like for you these days? I mean, if you had to reflect like on what, what a typical night is like for you, what would that be like? Typical night. I would around 10 o'clock or so just turn down the house and have again that hour just pretty quiet just very relaxing time and um and then when I'm sleepy feel sleepy I go to bed and I've been getting um maybe seven hours of sleep at night seven typically and um and I don't I don't need anything. <laughs> no, don't, don't take anything. I don't need any of those pills or, you know, I don't need any of that outside stuff. I just rely on myself. And generally nights are good. Generally I am, I have good, I sleep well. Um, every now and then there's a little dis- disruptive evening and deal with that. And then I'm generally right on back on track. Um, and I am feeling more energetic during the day. I am, um, I have, feel like I have more clarity right during the day because I'm not taking all that stuff. And, um, there's just, 
I'm seeing like, I remember pretty early on actually in the program, I felt like I could see colors and hear sounds like differently, like clear, everything was, there was this clarity. Um, so really like beautiful stuff and a real gratitude because I know what it feels like to not get good sleep. So then to get the sleep, to wake up, to know I did it. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. I didn't need to take some pills. I didn't need to do it. I did it myself. My body knows what it's doing. You know, like I still do. Like a year later, I wake up feeling proud <laughs> every morning. I did it. You know, it feels like a real accomplishment. And uh, and I carry that with me. That's great. Well, Amanda, I'm really grateful for the amount of time you've spent with us just talking about your own story, your own experience. I, I know ev everyone listening to this is going to get some value from it. Um, I mean, I, I've got some value from it myself just hearing you describe certain things. I love the way you acknowledge, you know, those thoughts and those feelings by just saying things like, I see you. I thought that was great. Um, but before I let you go, I did have one last question for you, which I ask every guest. So I don't want you to feel left out. Um, and it's this. If someone with chronic insomnia is listening and they feel as though they've tried everything, that they're beyond help, that they just cannot do anything to improve their sleep what would you tell them? I would say that I understand um, what they're going through, that just the, the loneliness at night, that those feelings of isolation, um, and that I really totally understand how hard it is, but that they're not alone. They, you know, they, feel, they might feel like they're alone, but they're not. And that the human body and, and brain is so strong and resilient. And I really believe that it can readapt, it can be reconditioned. And, and, and that's just exactly what this program did for me. You know, and that was like in the darkest days, I did not think I'd be able to fall asleep again. I just did not think I could do it on my own. I thought I'd be just taking pills for the rest of my life. But um, everything's done and I'm doing it. And it's because this program helped to just reshape some of my habits and my thinking around sleep. And so it, it works and it's powerful and it, and it takes a lot of work and it, you know, it takes a commitment and a little bit of pain up front, but it is, I'm so worth it in the long term. Um, it, yeah, you, you will sleep. <laughs> You will sleep again and you'll do it on your own. I'm a big believer to take the leap of faith. That's great. I think that's a positive, a fantastically positive note to end on. So thank you again, Amanda, for taking the time to come onto the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Martin. Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to move away from struggling with insomnia and toward living the life you want to live, I would love to help. You can get started right now by enrolling in my online course or you can book my phone coaching package. My online course runs for six weeks. It will help you make changes that can create better conditions for sleep. It will help you identify and get rid of any behaviors that might be making sleep more difficult and it will help you respond to insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it in a more workable way.
You can work through the course in two ways. You can choose the self-coaching option and work through it by yourself with the support of an online forum that is available only to clients. Or you can choose to add one-on-one email coaching and work through the course with me by your side. With the one-on-one coaching option, you get unlimited email access to me for eight weeks, starting from the day you enroll. Anytime you have a question or concern, anytime you're unsure about anything, anytime you want to focus on the challenges you face or any difficulties that show up, you can email me and I will be there to coach and support you. With the phone coaching package, we start with a one hour call, voice only or video, your choice, and come up with an initial two week plan that will help you create better conditions for sleep and practice moving away from struggling with insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it. You get unlimited email access to me for two weeks after the call and a half hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep. <laughs>